I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of this podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. We have two guests here that haven't been here in a while. Welcome uh, these two gentlemen, Mr. Deo Pernas. Hello. Happy Friday morning, everybody. Happy Friday. And Mr. Kenny Molina. Hey, glad to be back. Awesome. Well, today we're going to be talking about an article I wrote called The Sirens of Finance. And in these articles, of course, you're going to get a lot about my life because I'm the one that writes these articles. So uh, growing up, I was a TV kid. I watched a whole lot of TV. Um, I watched this movie, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, from 1963, and I watched it many times. I loved uh, Greek mythology and these stories. Then I got to college, and uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but you have to pick these different courses to fill these, uh, hmm. what, what's that called? Like the general the, GEs, I the GEs or whatever. Okay. So you go through these categories, you're like, man, what class am I going to take that's going to satisfy this? So I took uh, Greek mythology and I really enjoyed it in college. And uh, I wasn't aware of how robust the, the amount of stories and the overlap and, and everything that goes along with it. What I loved about it is um, you can glean a lot of wisdom from it. Um, and there is things uh, that Day and I talked before podcast. Who's that have, Quick question. Who's your favorite Greek god? Uh, ooh, good question. <laughs> He's going to default to Zeus. He's going to say Zeus. No, I don't have a favorite. Uh, <laughs> Who, question right back at you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, Wait, I don't, actually Zeus don't know. God? Yes. He's God and man? Is Zeus? No, no. Isn't he's, he's just God. I oh, think Hercules is what I'm thinking of. There you go. Because <laughs> my son watches Hercules cartoon. I was about to say. If, if, oh, who is Hercules' brother? Um, wasn't he the god of war or the... All right. Well, we've got anyway, a big, anyway, big okay, kitchen. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, I lo- love Greek mythology, love the class, love the stories. Um, and today I, or this week, I was thinking about in finance, it's so easy to get distracted. And those distractions can cause like a lot of harm. So I wanted to write an article called The Sirens of Finance. Um, the sirens show up in multiple stories, but it's this idea that the mariners of the sea are headed off. And uh, when they get to these certain areas where there's cliffs around, these beautiful creatures, I don't know, sometimes they're portrayed as like half women, half bird, or half women, half fish. or Right, like a uh, mermaid. Exactly. Um, they uh, have this captivating beauty and this song they sing that just leads... Um, the sailors to kind of just be captivated by them and then they crash into the cliffs and uh, it's their demise. So I thought about, hey, are there sirens of finance? And there absolutely are. There's things that happen uh, to investors that uh, lure them away from the important stuff, um, keeping their eyes on the prize, and it can lead to their demise. So I broke it down two different sirens of finance today and I think there's a ton of them. I just think I only wanted to use a thousand words for today's discussion. Mm. So um, the first one I wanted to talk about was the siren of speculation. I feel like um, we are in an environment or culture right now where speculation is rampant. And and I'm actually not going to claim that that's a bad thing. I'm just going to say that's a reality. And I've met uh, some people with some interesting stories, people that have stumbled upon uh, what we would call in the industry 10-baggers, uh, where an investment is worth 10 times more than when they bought it. And a lot of them bought that within the last 12 months. I felt like they tended to be anomalies in finance, where you would hear about maybe this legendary hedge fund manager who had scored a 10-bagger and kind of made his fame off that. And as you mentioned, I think in the past couple of months, really, I was, I was going to say years with Bitcoin, but even in the months with some of these meme stock, 
it's felt like, you know, retail investors have found 10 baggers left and right, or at least that's what uh, you're led to believe. Yeah. And we talked about in the article that sometimes, or it is the exception, not the rule, but I can tell you real people. I, I've met some folks where I'm like, wow, that worked out really well for you. Um, now we should get back to some sort of financial plan to uh, make sure that you lock in those gains. But I don't know. What do you think Day is driving this season of speculation? You know, I think uh, like Kenny was saying, it used to be, you know, making 10 times your money on investment is something is pretty elusive and happens generally over a long period of time. Uh, but, you know, obviously in some of these these new asset classes, namely crypto, you've seen just incredible amount of gains in such a short period of time. And I think that people who are competitive, people who are out there, you know, trying to save hard and work hard, uh, you know, even though they're trying to do everything responsibly, it's very difficult not to get distracted when your friend who maybe is way less smarter than you all of a sudden has figured out how to make 10 times as money in 30 seconds. So uh, it's very difficult, I think, not to get distracted by these things. It's important to realize, uh, as we've seen the last couple of months, that the reverse can also be true. And uh, I don't think people talk about the downside of their losses as much as the upside. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, j- those type of gains are going to get press. They're going to get praised and they're going to be noticed. So it's just it's just the nature of investing in speculation. It reminds me, because uh, you're a golfer, I feel like the first thing when I ask a friend about golf, they're like, oh, man, you should have seen this shot I hit on the hole number three, like two feet from the cup, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, oh, what did you shoot? They're like, oh, I shot 105 yeah. or something like that. But uh, golf <laughs> has a good this, analogy. this like way that. of uh, we remember the best shots Very much uh, so. and maybe not the collection of the entire game. Um, but it, it's nothing – I understand why it's a siren. Uh, because I'm thinking of, you know, somebody right now that has a pretty blue collar job, their, their expertise is not in finance. And that is not a criticism. It's just not their expertise. And uh, I I know that they put $50,000 into um, a stock that turned into something worth more than half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. That's real money. Uh, mm-hmm. That pays off somebody's mortgage. Uh, that is a game changer. Uh, that makes a financial plan look a lot different. And I, I don't know. I, I don't understand how that couldn't be a siren. Like why I wouldn't be interested in saying, hey, can I get a double portion of that as well? Absolutely. I personally myself, I think I had a, a good buddy reach out to me. I think in January he was talking about the Dogecoin, right? Uh, that kind of recent phenomenon with Elon Musk. It's been on the news. I think he put in a couple hundred dollars, told me to do the same thing. And uh, it went very well for him, right? And so you, as you all mentioned earlier today, uh, here you are investing, kind of have uh, maybe uh, some kind of uh, financial plan. You have an investment thesis, and then you have a buddy who just bought a new car, right, with maybe 10 seconds worth of dedication. And it's uh, maybe not just because you're in finance, but uh, especially because you're always looking at markets and updates and news flashes. It's so hard to be uh, led astray or at least look at these opportunities and think, you know, what if I dip my toe in it? And then it's easier to kind of, if it goes uh, well, you know, just a small amount, you, you, you're you probably going to want to get that double serving. Yeah. And we talked about pre-podcast, uh, the, this idea of sirens is a, an appropriate analogy because, Dea, you were talking about this particular contract. Uh, maybe you could tell kind of the background of that uh, Greek, Greek mythological story and uh, what it means today. Okay. Yeah, sure. We're talking about the Ulysses contract. And, uh, you know, obviously from, uh, from the book, uh, Ulysses written by James Joyce, I believe. And in the book, uh, Ulysses is passing similar story to, I believe it was a Jason, the Argonauts, Argonauts yep. 
where he's passing by these sirens who are, I, I believe, are mermaids. And uh, Ulysses, I, I believe, wants to experience the beauty of their songs without being driven to... Uh, shipwreck. Yeah, right, to shipwreck. Or, you know, obviously the, the idea is these sirens, if men listen to it, they, they automatically uh, do something very destructive and they end up uh, harming themselves or, mm-hmm. or wrecking the boat or killing everybody on board. So he wants to be able to not have that influence but still enjoy the beauty. So he decides to tie himself to the mast uh, while his the rest of the queue, uh, of his crew that has earwax in his ears is able to kind of sail past these sirens. And it's uh, some of that, you know, you could draw an analogy to finance where maybe you want to lock your money away or not touch it because you know you're going to be incentivized to do crazy things with your money. Or maybe you want to have somebody that you can count on who's responsible, who you trust to help make those decisions. And that's your kind of analogy of Ulysses' contract. Um, so I, I, I think there are concepts of finance that are that are, are analogous. Uh, and it's interesting, all this speculative, activity. And I remember us talking about that briefly where I don't think speculation is necessarily a bad thing, but I I think it can be a very, very bad thing if you don't do it correctly. Now, Trevor's, I believe Trevor's point, he'll correct me, is really you shouldn't engage in it really at all. No, Uh, I like what you're saying is that um, nothing is inherently bad. It's when mm -hmm. it's perversed uh, that it can cause some harm. Yes. I guess I would sum up my my feeling about it to say, hey, is it bad to go to Vegas and uh, gamble? I, I don't think it is. Um, are you going to make a career out of being a gambler? That is probably the minority, not the majority. Um, <laughs> and I think that goes with this idea of speculation is it's hard for people not to separate those two so things. So you're not against speculation? I'm not. I don't particularly do it myself. Um, and I probably um, am indoctrinated from uh, some early finance books I read about Benjamin Graham and things like that, where it kind of separates this idea of the difference between investing and speculating, um, where it doesn't really create an interest for me. And going to what you said, this Ulysses contract, my contract with myself, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, that's like a, a, an important rule in my uh, my mm. own values. Uh, the Bonson Group manages all my money. Yes. I, I don't do any of it. I, I don't yes. have a side account or, uh, or something like that. Now, that is no criticism against somebody that does. It's my own contract to keep myself out of harm's way. Um, and my point is that in this article is that clients or investors, they need to figure that out too. But I, I don't want to take away from what you're saying. So maybe go on about the, the positive side of speculation. Yes, I, I think I think that's a great point. And I think that it sounds like uh, you're an investor who knows exactly what game he's playing and is totally committed to that over the very, very long term. And that is something that will prove to be successful. Uh, if, as far as speculation goes and trying to get listeners to understand to not get caught up in this whole sirens and the whole speculative activity, I think it's really important to, to really understand the difference between speculation and investing and where is the, does one start and the other begin. And I think if, if listeners can really, really understand that, that they can, they can be absolutely clear about the decisions that they make that are speculative and be able to size that appropriately and may and make those activities a very, very small portion uh, of their net worth or, or of their portfolio. And, and you know, if, if, if the negative does happen, which oftentimes, the vast majority of times it will, and that, and that specula- speculative activity will prove to be capital destructive, you know, it won't be pernicious to your overall financial future. Is your thought there that, okay, 
uh, I take a small portion with this potential asymmetric opportunity that I think creates a greater benefit for my total portfolio. Is that what you're you're concluding? I think a, a tiny portion. Yes, I think, I think a tiny portion can be appropriate if you're somebody that wants. Uh, is it, it appropriate? Let me ask you this: mm. Is it appropriate to scratch an itch, like, or is it appropriate because it's driving an attribution to your total return? The former. I think it mainly has to do with the former to satiate this kind of need to feel like you're in some sort of game. I mean, Vegas exists for a reason. Yeah. Uh, You know, people like to speculate. People enjoy the feeling and the emotion they have of being in the game or, you know, whatever it is. And if uh, you can only use very, very small portions of your overall wealth to do that and you feel good about it, I I don't see the, I mean, I don't think it's over the long term. It'll something. It'll be something that detracts from your financial position. But I don't see anything wrong with it from a financial planning sense. So that makes sense to me. But you're actually concluding that it will um, deteriorate returns in a sense yes, that it won't it, be additive. It won't be additive. Got it. So you're kind of taking the mindset that hey, um, when I'm in Vegas, I don't go to the ATM machine. I just uh, gamble with the cash that I brought. Yes, exactly. Um, But fully understanding that if I walked out with no money in my pocket, that was worth the enjoyment of engaging in the event. Uh, That's that's absolutely my position. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's uh, I believe looking at it from the financial plan perspective, I don't think you ever incorporate the probability that you have some uh, unknown family member walk in and give you an inheritance as a substantial part of your retirement plan. I also wouldn't see the portion, hopefully tiny fraction of your net worth that you speculate with as a substantial part of making your retirement plan. Uh, I love that. I love that analogy. Or or however you call it, that thought is that there's this core part of your portfolio that's driving the plan. And then there's these satellite pieces that can be detractors or additive, but um, they don't uh, veer the plan from from, uh, what happens, which that's an interesting perspective. I have never heard you say that. And uh, I think it's helpful that, um, like you said, know the game you're playing, that an investor basically knows that from the get-go because i think where i say speculation can be a siren is they begin to grow the size of that position and their confidence and they begin to believe that the attribution of the returns of that speculation will be fulfilling to their financial plan it's it's scary it's really scary i see it happen time immemorial it'll never stop happening but people start to think that their speculative activities is something that'll def- like that is guaranteed to give them. You know, they they start becoming uh, borderline delusional with some of the investments. I mean, you see it with cryptos. Like, oh, I'll never ever sell this thing. It's it's like I I mean I I don't know how people you know assume that level of confidence about the future. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, clearly nobody knows the future. If we could just start. With that assumption, we can, we can make better decisions. But I completely agree. Everything we're saying right now is common sense. It really is common sense. But it is so uh, prevalent how many people will stretch that speculative activity or start to assume it is investing or start to assume that it is something that they've done fundamental research on that is that has a very high likelihood of paying off. And then they, they are so bought into the story that they then that confirmation bias starts happening where they only look at the good news and and, and all of a sudden they're filled with false confidence and they're start starting to put more money in this speculative activity which is very destructive. 
I wonder if this is relative to Ulysses too, where he's like, I want to listen to the music. I want to tickle my ears. Like, I want this. But then I have to put a safety net. I'm strapping myself in. You know what I mean? To where, like, some clients might have to handcuff part of their portfolio um, to, to protect themselves. Mm. I will say a disclaimer here, though. Um, uh, there, uh, There's this idea. I'm a Christian. And there's this idea in my world um, that if somebody struggles with something particular, you should be accommodating to them. Um, if somebody was an alcoholic in the past uh, and you go to dinner with them, maybe you don't order an alcoholic beverage um, as respect to them. Um, so I wonder if there are some people that uh, have an addictive personality uh, to gambling and things like that, where you kind of say, hey, we can't have a speculative account because uh, you can have a tendency to be a little bit of a junkie. And uh, every time you lose all the money, you want to fill it back up and it starts to become... Uh, hindering to your actual financial plan. Are there people out there like that? Uh, absolutely. And I think the uh, the field of behavioral finance, uh, when you dive into the different types of biases, they try to separate them into uh, cognitive biases and ones that are very emotional, like, like the ones you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, if you feel that uh, very strongly that y- you've endowed whatever uh, specula- speculative activity you're looking at with some sort of uh, uh, j- just some sort of uh, feedback that it's going to give you exactly what you want. And you almost this this uh, this security, you've almost created a sort of uh, just you've you've created this world where it's uh, it's a security that has to give you returns like you you become a spouse to the theory right right you become married to it thank you thank you uh you know that's obviously very something emotional it's hard to uh intellectually uh explain to somebody why they're wrong it's something that you just have uh, you have to kind of work around somehow and on that same note you're probably saying yeah there's this idea of anchoring to your purchase price and all these things that could hinder you from just making like sound decisions yes yes and and the anchoring is more on the cognitive side where it's something you can uh it's it's uh you can explain that to a client Mm -hmm. and maybe they can start to understand that a little bit after after enough uh repetition but there's certain biases and that we all have that, that of course uh, that will never go away yeah. with you know with all the amount of education information in the world and they're needed for survival right that's what heuristics are about is that we're not going to sit down and take time to make every single decision with the utmost information and logic uh, we have to live our life so yes. um, we have these little shortcuts that help us do that yeah without stealing your thunder too much i think that that naturally leads to maybe your advice at the end of the article uh, where I think the uh, an investor can be led astray very easily by the sirens to namely finance and performance, where it seems like uh, perhaps uh, not even untold riches, but as you mentioned, maybe getting a quick boost in your financial plan is just one trade away, right? And uh, how do you uh, help prevent from that? Or how do you get a, a neutral third-party opinion that is truly focused on maybe your constraints, your objectives, and ultimately perhaps a healthy retirement? And, and that is ultimately an advisor, someone who is going to be uh, maybe trying to uh, double check your biases, right? And, and kind of help you from some of this destructive behavior. Yeah. And we'll circle back to that. But I'm going to make a point to, to what you're saying is that the reason that you need that is it, when we talk about these sirens in Greek mythology, it wasn't only awareness that they were there. 
it was like, you better have a game plan. You better either strap yourself to that bow or you better put, you know, earplugs or in the case of Jason the Argonauts, like have this musician playing this loud music to drown them out. And even in that, even in Jason the Argonauts, one of the, the crewmen jumped out into the water um, and, and swam in because that, that lure is just so strong, which why we're saying till the end of time, these uh, investor mishaps or mistakes uh, will exist. Uh, we will not get rid of them. It's human nature. Yes, it's human nature. And I think that's really what separates uh, good, skilled professionals from uh, people who d- do this recreationally is is that awareness and understanding that there are psychological pitfalls, there are emotional pitfalls that prevent you from making good decisions. And now if you start with that knowledge and then you say, okay, how do I work around that or how do I, how do I train myself or what is my decision-making process – so that I don't skip this step uh, and I'm able to make better investment decisions, um, I, I think that part is key, is, is really having that awareness to, to tie yourself to the mass and be like, okay, no matter what, uh, my sizing on uh, security, no matter how convicted I am, is never going to be greater than 5%. And you have all, much like a pilot uh, boarding, on, top of, uh, boarding on, on a jet, you have a checklist that you go through to make sure that you know, the plane's going to be okay. No, no matter what happens, uh, the plane's going to get from point A to point B. And, and, and that's really it. And it's really, uh, you know, why we're here. That's what I love about the sailing analogies with uh, how they cross over with finance is that I know in sailing, you start heading the wrong direction, even like one degree, uh, you go for long enough, you end up in a very different destination. Um, and because there's these variables when you're sailing, right? The current, the weather, um, and all these different factors, you have to constantly be pivoting and adjusting just like with uh, a financial plan. Uh, uh, what I hate about the printed financial plan is that there's this feeling that it's one and done. You put it in the desk and you never have to look at it again. And that's not true. Life throws you curveballs. Um, the environment, the taxes, the inflation, the cost of college, or your plan to buy a second home that you never thought you were going to buy, or inheritance you didn't know was coming or you assumed was coming, um, right? All of those things mean that you have to be a good captain of your ship uh, and you have totally. to keep understanding uh, what direction you're heading which a good point for us to start talking about this other siren which we could have talked about so many but um, the, the other one that came top of mind for me was this siren of performance and the reason uh, I think that this was prevalent to me right now is in the last 12 months we've had something happen that we haven't had happen in a while where there's these huge disparities of outcomes Right. Um, if I was a value investor, my outcome looked like this. If I was a growth investor, my outcome looked like this. And, and we use those terms kind of generically. Um, but most of the time, uh, those things have a, a similar path they walk along. But um, those directions have changed highly in the last 12 months. What I mean is the returns are very different for different investment strategies, which um, we're going to talk about right now, how performance can be a siren. Yes, very much so. And it's something that, uh, you know, clearly, uh, you know, that when you're talking about value and growth, but I mean, across asset classes, it's been uh, the anything. Yeah, been absolutely. Absolutely enormous. Uh, going back to the whole 10 bagger thing that Kenny was talking about. I think uh, the the more divergent those returns are, the more this this whole sirens and keeping up with the Joneses uh, starts becoming uh, a, a very, a very strong phenomenon that that unfortunately affects people's emotions and uh, causes people to make bad decisions. And 
understanding for yourself what does what what return or what is the range of returns that you need to 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 reach point B to go from point A to point B is really the crux of it. And uh, yeah, sure, there there can be some people making two hundred percent, but what are they going to what are they making next year, or, or what have they made with the other parts of their portfolio, and what are they not telling you? Uh, you know, putting everything in the right terms in the right context and uh, over the right time horizon, I think will 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 better help you make sober sober judgments. Yeah, this is a is a pretty good sign to talk about. You know, everyone uh, has heard of the FOMO stories of speculation. Uh, but performance is definitely, I think, a siren that uh, may lead an investor astray looking at their uh, maybe end of year conversations with their advisors or just reviewing their plan, seeing that they're up X percent and then they go maybe on CNBC or Morningstar and it tells them, hey, yeah, as you mentioned, this manager is up 200 percent, right? Uh, and it actually reminds me of this piece. One of the first pieces I actually read when I uh, joined the Bonson Group and uh, Capital Markets in general was, I believe it was titled uh, like the Curse of the Morningstar uh, Rankings, where essentially... Morningstar has uh, these uh, four or five star rankings and these managers who get like, their perfect ranking uh, end up seeing uh, flows into their strategies, their funds. And essentially, uh, they I think they did some backtesting. And uh, at that point, the trade that made them famous, that got them their ranking is pretty much over. But people are looking at this strategy, looking at their end of year results and saying, hey, I, I want a piece of that too. And uh, that, you know, uh, ultimately that allocation, the strategy, as, as Dea just said, may not be conducive to your ultimate objectives and constraints or retirement planning or sending your kids to college, but you're just kind of being uh, led by those uh, those figures, the, the raving reviews. Uh, and uh, th- that's something that could be quite destructive, right? Uh, if you were properly allocated, let's say, after a conversation with your advisor, and now all of a sudden you're, you're switching allocations because you, you saw a favorable review. And they quantify that every year, what you're talking about through a study, I think they call it the behavior gap, um, is they look at what's the difference. In, for our listeners, I'll explain what this means, but these two here know what I mean by this. They look at the difference between time-weighted and dollar-weighted returns. So for our listeners, what that means is they look at a mutual fund or a strategy and they say, hey, what is its return on paper? And then what did the aggregate investor, the people that invested in the fund, what was their actual return? There's a funny story. I don't know the particular fund, but um, from the dot-com crisis where the compounding returns were something in the like north of 50% returns, but the average investor had a negative return. Um, and that was all about rearview mirror investing. Right. Somebody looking um, at all the potential things they can invest in and investing in what worked yesterday. And I don't blame people for that. Because we talked about heuristics, right? So you're a 401k investor, and then they give you a sheet of paper that says, hey, here's 12 different funds that you could potentially invest in. And what's the first metric you're going to look at? What has it done the last one year, three years, five years, 10 years? Performance, I'm absolutely. I'm guessing it's going to be very uh, difficult to try to pick something that doesn't uh, tickle your fancy when you look at those numbers. Now, do you have context behind it? Was it a money market fund versus a technology fund or whatnot? You don't, but this idea of heuristics, you got to make quick decisions. So these little shortcuts can get people in trouble. Um I've been a little bit cheeky lately because we are a a dividend growth investing strategy. Um, We have a a quality or value orientation to what we do. So um, when folks want to benchmark a particular year against something and they say, hey, I wish I would have owned the S&P 500 or whatever it is, um, sometimes I'll respond like, oh, man, you're picking the wrong benchmark. I wish you would own the NASDAQ. And I always tell them, I would be a really good investor. Like, I think I'd be the best investor in the world if I had a time machine. 
Um, if I could invest in hindsight, oh my gosh, I would be really good. I'd know when to add leverage. I'd know what to buy. I'd know when to sell it. Um, I would but, place capital. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. But um, the uh, the unfortunate thing is that I haven't uh, figured out how that time machine works. So uh, I don't have that advantage. Um, and this is a hard discussion for me to have because I'm telling you siren is uh, the siren of performance could be something that will lure you to shipwreck. But I'm also telling you your performance really matters because when we talk about compounding returns, what you get in returns will matter. What I'm also telling you is if you chase returns, you will hurt that metric. Um, and that is something very difficult to digest, I think, um, if you haven't put a lot of thought into it. Very much so. And I think one thing that's extremely important to keep in mind is Trevor said performance matters. Uh, negative performance or uh, matters a lot. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? The downside matters a lot more than the upside. It's hard to get yourself out of a deep It's hole. hard to get yourself out of a hole. What you want to do at all costs is avoid capital destruction with the core part of your portfolio. And if you can just avoid doing that, my, uh, my prediction is that you're, eight times out of 10 is you're going to be okay. Uh, so try, I mean, to, to give an example, if you lose, uh, you know, if you lose 50% of your portfolio, you have to make a hundred percent just to get back to even, which is a lot harder to, which is hard, you know, very hard to do. So if you can af- just avoid the, the downside destruction by not engaging in speculative activity with the core part of your portfolio. Uh, and if you can do that, which, which uh, you know, obviously is easier said than done, given all these different sirens and all these different, uh, you know, people making 800% rate of returns and so on, uh, you know, if you can kind of just put your blinders on or strap yourself to that, that mask like Ulysses, uh, I think you're going to be okay. It's funny with what Kenny was mentioning about the Morningstar study is if you go deeper in those studies, I don't know if it's the same paper you're talking about, but uh, as they rank these managers by decile, right, what you're kind of saying is that uh, – the last year's performance of top decile uh, probably won't deliver the next year what you thought it was. But then the, the the thing that might not be intuitive, you go to the best manager over the last decade and you're like, oh, wow, this person's top decile over the last decade. And then you're like, wait, they finished middle of the road every year. And it's kind of what Dea was saying is that protection against huge losses, um, being mediocre for a long time means you're best in class. Mm-hmm. Um, just survivor, uh, just being a survivor is huge. Yes, um, absolutely. And that's why, again, um, I don't know why I always go back to this reference point, but uh, it's a it's something I keep in my back pocket because it's maybe just convincing myself is I look at the NASDAQ. Um, in late uh, the late 90s and how it was underwater for 15 years. Man, 15 years is such a long time. 15 years ago, my life was so different. Our culture was different. How we interact with iPhones and social media, a lot changes in 15 years. So sometimes you have to be willing to be a middle-of-the-road guy or gal knowing that you will be top decile in the long run if you have the temperament to stick to it. Absolutely. I don't even think there was iPhones 15 years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was 2007. I think, that uh, was, I think it was 2007 around there. Yeah. I think yeah. It was, yeah. yeah so I think it, right, right around where, when Bitcoin was, was conceived. Yeah. I think Bitcoin was posted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, you know, to your point, uh, and, you know, you, <laughs> going back to these allegories and ancient stories, I maybe don't know how uh, age this one is, but, you know, the whole uh, 
rabbit and the tortoise, right? Where yeah. I, it's and and again going back to the sh- the ship uh, allegories, um, you don't know what race you're in, you don't know what ocean you're in, you don't know if it's a small pond, if it's a huge lake, or if it's crossing the Atlantic, right? So uh, if you're speculating, and perhaps in this analogy you're the rabbit, and you're lucky, and it's a you know five foot dash, then you win. You you get your ten bagger. You're set for life. Mm-hmm. And if you're unlucky and it's a speculative that goes the wrong way and it's actually a marathon, uh, you're at the beginning of the race and you're out of fuel, right? And as you mentioned, if you can kind of just stick to the uh, investment thesis, have one put it in place, and you're able to just stay in the race and survive long enough, and as Daya mentioned, avoid capital destruction, uh, over the long run and on average, you're you're probably going to be okay as an investor. Absolutely. I think you guys said the key word, which is survival. What you're trying to guarantee, uh, quote-unquote, for lack of a better word, is that you are going to survive for a very long period of time. Your the core part of your portfolio, you, you will insulate yourself from financial ruin. And I think uh, having uh, you know ha- having somebody uh, like an advisor to go to improves, or or obviously doing all the studies yourself and really having an objective view uh, and putting in, uh, you know the time yourself to understand uh, you know what works, what doesn't, what to stay away from, and so on. Will will improve your chances, uh, you know, of of financial success or success, excuse me, by avoiding ruin. Yeah, and uh, on this idea of the siren of performance, uh, I think next week I'm going to write an article on benchmarking, and I'm going to tell people what your real benchmark should be, um, and it should be around one your expectations, um, two your needs. What does your financial plan actually need? And then three, um, be honest with yourself. If you didn't own this, what was the other thing you were going to own? Because um, that was the super, uh, substitute or the opportunity cost. That framing for benchmarking is huge rather than just mm. at random picking what did the best and um, doing this hypothetical, uh, which the finance industry loves to do. If you invested $10,000 in this at this point, it would now be worth this. Um, that can get you in trouble. So uh, next week, uh, I, I plan to write this article about um, what should benchmarking really look like um and uh what is the benefit of it for our investors oh, that's gonna be a good one that's gonna be an exciting one yeah that's a good one i've, I've yeah. seen uh the one that i've seen a lot is uh, if you would have invested the amount of a model s tesla into tesla at x point you would have been <laughs> this high up which is uh is, so i'm not gonna lie one of our employees that <laughs> drives a tesla told me that exact same number the other day and i was like wait wait how are these two things even relevant exactly. you're talking about the vehicle you're driving versus right. you speculating on some exactly. sort of asset or instead of buying a pizza or a bitcoin if you just left it in bitcoin <laughs> you know, so, i mean uh, oh that's a great out. one yeah, the, yeah. the first uh, the first purchase but yeah. Uh, yeah look forward to the article uh, you know i'm sure you'll make some great points and uh you know I'm, I'm sure you'll cover not just what would you have owned or but could you have owned your own benchmark right so uh, everyone, I think, would have loved to uh, held uh, maybe NASDAQ or uh, S&P 500 over the last maybe eight years before 2020. Uh, but would they have been able to hold uh, SPY down 30 to 30 uh, something odd percent in March and not have capitulated? I, I would make the bet that the great majority of investors would have uh, realized excessive capital destruction at that moment. That's a great point. Yeah, and that's what we mm-hmm. talked about too. In the past, we've talked about risk surveys and things like that. And I always tell people, those are great, um, pieces to kind of look at context, start conversations. But the best piece is game film. Let's let's go back, look what your portfolio did. How did you react? Let's look at the emails and the exchanges we had, the conversations. Let's yeah. try to remember how you felt. Uh, game film matters. A lot you, of that you, gets forgotten. Yeah, exactly. Do, do you try to bring that up with, uh, I mean, I can't tell you, um, you know, conversations I've had with clients where 
oh my God, I have to sell out immediately. I'm down, whatever, I'm down a million and let's get out right now. And then, you know, fast forward a year, a uh, year and a half later where they've made, you know, a considerable sum way above and beyond what they quote unquote lost. And those conversations are kind of forgotten. <laughs> yeah. So I love my clients and I love them one because they give me a lot of grace and they let me be cheeky. But I remember a recent conversation where somebody was like, oh no, like, like I really want to add some more risk on, like I have the tolerance for it, whatever. And I was on a, I was on a Zoom call and I was like, hey, I'm going to pull up an email exchange we had on that last week of March. And I was like, this is, this is a uh, real game film. And uh, this person, like we have a friendship, so it's totally okay. Um, but it was, uh, that's what I'm saying, and, and I do it too. I, me, me, and uh, Sean talk sports all the time, sure. and, I, and I always like, oh, I, I knew that team was going to win, or this, that, and the other. And he's like, no, you didn't. Like you thought this. I'm like, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> no, I think that's gr- that type of relationship. I think is the best type of relationship because I think that is a phenomenal educational experience for, for that client to really because because memory is kind of, can kind of be a funny thing and can be very selective, and I think you know transparently showing them exactly what they were thinking during a time of extreme stress is, I think, very illuminating. And it helps, helps uh, you know, create that awareness. Excuse me, sir. I know you're really upset right now, but Dad told me this would be educational for you. So you've <laughs> got to be okay with this. Um, yeah. So one thing we'll wrap up here, and it's kind of how I sum this article up, and I mentioned it earlier a little bit, um, just awareness that sirens are out there is not the final step. You have to create a game plan um, and uh, wh- whatever you want to call them, safety nets, insurance policies, um, accountability partners, whatever it is, you have to understand that these things can get you in trouble. Um, And you want to make sure that you have the right plans, pieces, lockboxes in place to protect yourself. Um, And that's the big point that I I want clients to understand from this. But before I close this out, I will do, uh, as we usually do, a quick uh, around the horn and see if you guys want to add any final thoughts. And we'll start with you, Mr. Kenny Molina. Yeah, I would add to that final uh, comment or the final thought where you want to put in place your protection against the sirens and, uh, you know, uh, maybe bring back the uh, Ulysses contract that uh, Dea brought up or one of these algorithms getting lost at this point, where uh, unfortunately, even one of the sailors with earwax did jump off. So understand that it's even then, even understanding sirens exist, even after putting protections in place, understand that you will then get tested. And that's where all that is going to matter, right? And, And you need to be able to have hopefully either the self-control or a good advisor or a good neutral third party that's going to be able to fact check you and help you understand not just that you're being tested and that the things you put in place should be kicking in, but that you then have to weather the storm because that's going to be rough regardless of what you did to protect your portfolio, your investment, and, and ultimately your retirement or your, uh, your, your you know, your, your principal. Yeah, it was the story of Jason Argonauts that yeah. um, the uh, the musician was playing the music loud enough, drowning out the sound of the sirens, but one of them caught vision. I don't know if his name was Brute. I, I forget his name, but he caught vision and he just jumped in. He ended up actually being saved, I think, by uh, a goddess or something um, before he drowned. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's a great point. Um, and also to know that like you got to get back on the horse because you're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and that's totally okay. Um, you don't want to let shame get you out of the game of investment investing um spilt milk is spilt milk um and it's okay to come to an advisor and say hey i made a silly decision like i kind of sold out in the march moment um but i know my financial plan is not dead would you be willing to kind of just help me so that next time we get across one of those moments absolutely you're making the right decision uh you uh had a little hiccup and you're creating a, a fix for that in the future um and that is the best reaction to one of those moments 
Yep, absolutely. I, I agree entirely with both those points. Uh, you know, if I have to say a you know closing comment, would be understanding the difference between speculation and investing. And if you're not really sure, I it's probably speculation you should size down uh, and make that a very very small portion of your overall portfolio. So. When you said that, I was thinking about earlier, I'm like, ah, is that a hard line or is this like a, 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 a shade of gray when you go from investing to speculation? Because I'm thinking like, okay, deep value investing it's, it's or venture capital it's or no, exactly. Yeah. And why it's clear to you is it's more about intent and expectations than it is about the actual underlying security. I, I'm guessing. Good point. Good point yeah. um, so with that, we'll ask that you rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. Comments are welcome. You can email Tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Trevor, Daya, Kenny, Sean, anybody that's been on this podcast before we're happy to answer your questions we love your comments we love your feedback we love your ideas for future shows of what you want us to talk about Um, and with that said we'll be back next week with more of our thoughts Thoughts on on money the bonson group is registered with hightower securities llc member finra and sipc and with hightower advisors llc a registered investment advisor with the sec securities are offered through hightower securities llc advisory services are offered through hightower advisors llc this is not an offer to buy or sell securities no investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.